the theme this year is full. And I've been in a series on healing a divided heart. And in James chapter 1 verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he himself tempt anyone. I want you to notice that you're going to be tempted. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. It doesn't say if you're tempted. You're going to be tempted. But when you're tempted, it's not God that's tempting you. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. That's your physical appetites. And then enticed. I want you to remember that word. Enticed. I'm going to get back to it. That speaks of something else. Then when desire has conceived, that is when it goes from physical appetites to your thoughts. The Bible goes on to say it gives birth to sin. That's action. And so the process is this. Physical desires or appetites move into your thought processes. They result in action that is rebellion against the ways of God where you give in to these appetites in an ungodly way, but you're enticed to do that. And when it gives birth to sin, then the scripture says you should know that sin, when it is finished and is full grown, will bring forth death. It will bring forth death of a ministry, death of a family, death of a business, death in your finances, death of your self-esteem, death of the honor that you've worked so hard to earn throughout your life. Amen. Hosea 10, we have been looking specifically at two verses, how prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. But the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. I want you to see that. And the more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars, which were obelisk that they would erect to their false gods. Verse 2, their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. And then God makes this statement. And in this, I don't see judgment. Many people read the Bible and they see God just waiting with an angry fist to smash somebody. I see love. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. That God will love you so much that he will interrupt what is happening if he knows it's going to cause your destruction, to pull you back from the edge. That's love, baby. That's love. It's sad, though, when God blesses us and we do not realize where our blessing is coming from. Because in these verses, we see Israel being prospered and blessed, and God even describes them as a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. But instead of giving God the honor, they give honor to these pagan deities. And God said, their heart is divided. And in Hosea 2 and 8, for she Israel did not know, whoa, there it is, that I am the one who gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Baal was the name of one of their deities, their false gods. I want you to forget the last part of that, and I just want you to focus on the first part of it for for just a moment. For she, Israel, did not know 
that I, God, gave her grain, new wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. I want you to just lift your hands with me and say, thank you, Lord, because you have given me such abundance and such a great life. And you have multiplied my finances and blessed me beyond measure. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. As you read this, you quickly see that the condition is, is that Israel was busy worshiping pagan gods for the blessings that were actually being provided to them by the Lord God, Jehovah. And the altar that God speaks of here that they erected were altar to pagan deities. The pillars were also erected to these same pagan deities. When you serve idols, inevitably, it will result in some areas of your life that are hidden that we do not want others to see. That is because we begin to live with condemnation in our hearts. And Israel's heart was divided. And when you have a divided heart, and what that meant was is they were worshiping God, but at the same time worshiping these idols. When you have areas of your life that have not been submitted to God, you begin to experience condemnation. And when you do, you hide those areas. And do you know what that does? It begins to create distrust in the hearts of other people towards you. Because when you are hiding something, we sense it, don't we? Think about it. It's like you're trying, I'm not picking on car salesmen, but it's like you're, you're getting ready to buy a car. And the car salesman is telling you that's the best car for the money you can find. And you get the sense that he's not telling you something. And you ask for car facts. And he volunteers to knock $200 off the price. And you say, no, I want the car facts. And he knocks another 100 off the price. You get the sense that something is being hidden. Amen. And uh, the simple matter... The simple truth of the matter is it creates distrust. God is watching us. So are people. So are our families and our children. Joke. People were lined up at a dessert table at a church dinner. You know, I'm going to have to tell you about Boudreaux. I can't preach without telling you about And the table was filled with cakes and cookies and fruit. And someone had written a note and placed it next to the apples. And it read, take only one. It's a church picnic, right? A church dinner. So the sign said, take only one. God is watching. Moving through the line to the other end of the table was this large pile of homemade chocolate chip cookies and oatmeal raisin cookies. And Boudreaux wrote his own note and stuck it next to the cookies and said, take all these you want. God is down there watching them apples. (laughs) Well, he does have his eye on the sparrow. I guess he has his eye on the apple also. Today I want to speak from the subject, defeating the eye in the idol. The eye in the idol. And of course... The letter I there is what I'm looking at, but I'm going to explain what that means in just a moment. Today that we might better focus on God, I'm going to do something I usually don't do. I'm going to take a closer look at these false gods that Hosea speaks of. These were the gods that throughout most of the Old Testament account, Israel 
from time to time would be seduced into worshiping. And I don't like to talk about the enemy. If you know anything at all about me, I, I'm different. Some pastors, you go to church and all they talk about is the devil this and the devil that. I want to talk about Jesus, amen. While the Bible is indeed all about God, it also informs us that for us to better understand just how good God actually is, on occasion, we must also take a look at how evil the nature of our adversary is. At the time that God speaks to Hosea about Israel having a divided heart, Israel was primarily involved in worshiping two of the Canaanite deities, and they were Baal, B-A-A-L, and Ashtaroth, A-S-T-A-R-O-T-H. These were the principal male and female gods of fertility of the Canaanites who were also worshiping these gods and had seduced Israel into joining them. Israel, at the same time, continued to worship the Lord God Jehovah, hence the statement, Israel has a divided heart. As the God and goddess of fertility, though, Baal and Ashtaroth, when you study the worship practices of their devotees, they were unbelievably grotesque and evil. Among the things that were involved in the worship of these fertility gods, or this fertility god and goddess, there were things like temple prostitution, both male and female. You'd go to the temple and that was part of the religious ceremony. Sex was a part of the religious worship practice. And there were other practices such as child sacrifice, which was a common part of the worship as well. Sounds a whole lot like today, doesn't it? With 65 million abortions that have been committed since Roe versus Wade. And I'm not saying that to condemn anybody that that might be in your past, but simply to point out to you that we are facing the similar spirit, the same things that existed in that day. And sex is everywhere. Anything goes now. I mean, relationships take time to build, right? They do. They take time to build. And they can get messy. They can get sticky. And um, I'm going to go uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go a little bit uh, into something that I hope you won't charge me for. But did anybody see the movie Reacher? Okay, all of you are saved. My God. Come on, let me see your hand. I'm not going to punish you. I saw it. I'm telling you up front. I saw it. You didn't see it. My God, you ought to see that movie. It's a Tom Cruise movie. I thought all of you ladies would certainly have seen this one. There's this one scene, I'll describe it to you then, where Tom Cruise is sitting at a table and he's the character Jack Reacher. And so this girl named Sandy has been sent to him to try to lure him outside. And she walks up and says, can I join you? And he says, it's okay. And so she sits down. And uh, so she tries to, she says, my name is Sandy. And so Reacher just plainly tells her, look, Sandy, uh, I can't afford a hooker. And she says, I'm not a hooker. And he said, oh, then I really can't afford you. (laughs) And she gets mad, which is all part of the plot anyway, because she was trying to lure him outside where some other guys were going to have a problem with him. But nonetheless, you know, he makes the point that if you had been a hooker, you'd have got the joke. Because the most expensive woman is the one you don't pay for. 
Because you got to build a relationship and there are birthdays and anniversaries and honey, I'm going shopping today and you understand what I mean now. Okay. Pray for me. Hail Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners. Amen. Amen. There's a time when we have to talk about stuff like I'm talking about right now. And in these temple practices, they offered their children as burning sacrifices. And there were sexual activities that were grotesque and vile and evil. And that's the world we live in. And now it's all about sex. It really is. And because relationships can be sticky in what Reacher said is true. <laughs> that it's the one that you don't pay for that costs the most in the long run. People have decided not to get involved in permanent relationships. Come on, help me out now. It's a whole lot easier just to have a hookup. No attachments required. There are even apps. Anybody know about the app Tinder? Some of you do. If you have it, delete it or you're going straight to hell. Amen. Because Tinder is an app where if you just feel the urge to have sex, but you don't want to make any commitment or relationship attachments, all you do is go to Tinder and you find somebody in your area that's willing to hook up. And you can be having sex with a stranger in an hour and a half. That's the world we live in right now. And when we talk about these two principal gods of the Canaanites, trust me when I say they are alive and well. At the time that God speaks to Hosea about this, Baal was actually known as the Lord of all and was considered to be the Canaanite equivalent of the Lord God Jehovah. Baal was also called the giver of rain and dew. And that's why on Mount Carmel, after three years of drought, Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to see, let's see who is the giver of rain and dew. Let's see which one is really Lord of all. Let the God that answers by fire be God. And so they literally had what amounted to a shootout of the gods. Big G versus little G to see which one was really Lord of all. And I want you to understand that God doesn't allow any competitors for our hearts. We must serve him and him alone. The challenge was to let the God that answered by fire be the true God and let him reign in our lives uncontested and supreme. And following the calling down of fire from heaven, the next thing that whoever won the shootout of the gods was to do was to call down rain and break the drought. And you know the story, the prophets of Baal cut themselves and cried and worked themselves into a frenzy. But Baal was silent in the presence of the mighty God of heaven. He was cowed into trembling fear. There never will be, never has been, and there isn't right now a God like our God. Oh, somebody in the building say amen. He is God alone. He is the Lord God Jehovah. 
Let him reign and rule in your life. You will never regret it. Amen. God said, through Hosea, my people have a divided heart. They're worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. And that's why this is up here. Because these are the gods of the age. And there's some exercise equipment that I put up here too, simply because of the fact that we live in a time when you have to, you have to work out spiritually to resist the allurement and attraction of these kind of things. If you don't go to your spiritual gym and develop a devotional life, if you are not in the presence of God and you're not increasing your aerobic training, your spirit training, these spirits are out there, amen, and they will pull on you. I want to point out a couple of additional things from the passage in the book of James. We all face temptation. Notice he says, when we are tempted, not if we're tempted. And he also states the temptation is not of God. That implies it is from someone else. It is from someone else. Temptation begins in the flesh, moves through the mind into the wheel. And then the Bible says we're drawn away and there is this word, enticed. Everybody say it, enticed. That's an allurement. It speaks of a trap. But by whom are we enticed? We know that when it's conceived that the final result will be death. In the case of Hosea 10 and 2, the eye in the idol was Baal. The other eye in the idol was Ashtaroth. And by eye, I mean the personality behind the idol. These are not just creations of stone, grotesque caricatures dreamed up by the vivid imaginations of people who existed in that time. These carvings, these castings, these moldings of metal, carvings of wood and stone, they might not be real. They're real in the sense that they're physical objects, but they might not actually be the God. But trust me when I tell you there is an eye behind the idol. There is a personality there. Samson ignored this and overlooked it. And though he was strong physically, never saw the the need to develop his strength spiritually. As a result, this mightiest of men fell to the smallest opponent he ever faced. A woman named Delilah. You see, Samson did not realize that he was engaged in a war that was not just physical, but it was also spiritual in nature. Amen. He could face soldiers without fear because he knew what to do on the battlefield. But he fell before Delilah because he did not realize he was fighting not only actual soldiers of war, he was fighting an unseen enemy in the spirit dimension. There was an eye behind the idol. And so most believers today, because we're educated, we have our degrees, our diplomas, we've been to school, we know science, we've been taught about some of the great mysteries of the universe that the ancients could not have known at that time. We read these stories today and we mistakenly begin to believe that even though we acknowledge the existence of the mighty God Jehovah whom we serve, we think those people were just primitive, ignorant, and uneducated. We believe that at best they served harmless little carvings of metal, wood, and stone 
Or at worst, these ancient people were just fanatical in their superstitious beliefs and devotion to gods that didn't even exist and were merely the figment of their own imaginations. And we speak of false gods. And we think that the term false god means that these gods with a little g did not and do not exist now. I was quite surprised in my study and preparation for this message to discover that a term we often use in church, false God, you've heard it many times, is not even found in the Bible. It's not even in the Bible. Gods with a little g are not the true God, but to say they are false gods suggests that they do not exist. They didn't exist then, they don't exist now, and so the Bible never uses that language. The Bible actually has a problem with that position. For many times, the scriptures actually do refer to other gods. In fact, God himself speaks of other gods, little g, of course. He speaks in Exodus 23, verses 23 through 24, of the gods of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And he says in Deuteronomy 5 and 7, you shall have no other gods before me, little g. Did he mean these gods were imaginary? Or when he warned us not to have any other gods before him, was he actually cautioning us because they're really genuine? They do exist and that people should not be lured into serving them because of the destructive consequences. If you study the Bible, I think you will find the position of the Bible is there are other gods, little g. But the end result of following them is destruction. My intention today is to first unmask the malevolent personalities with which we engage in spiritual warfare. They are the entities behind the idol, the I in the idol, so to speak. And I want to talk about how to overcome them. Because when I talk about the I and the idol, I'm talking about the living, breathing personality that exists behind that, that thing of wood or stone or metal. There is a spirit lurking in the shadow of every idol. The idol isn't the spirit. It just represents that spirit. And this is what Samson failed to understand. He didn't realize that the spirits, there were spirits behind both Baal and Ashtaroth when he would go down to the camp of the Philistines and begin to engage himself in activities with their women and with the things that they were doing to try to become a part. He didn't realize there were spirits that were luring him. He had physical appetites, but he was enticed. He never saw the spirit that said, come on, Samson. All he saw was beautiful Delilah, but he never saw the spirit standing behind her. And maybe all you see is the alcohol. Maybe all you see is the affair, the 900 number. Maybe all you see is the high from cocaine, but you're not realizing there's a spirit that is enticing you. And calling you to be involved in these things. Paul proves the existence of spiritual opposition when he talks about some of the worship celebrations and festivals in his day where idols were feted and worshipped. They would have these feasts. 
during these events where food and beverages would be served, much like it is now Finians and Sindhu in, in, in India, where I don't know if I've ever been a time in India where it did not coincide with a festival for one of their gods. Ganesh is one of the big ones there. And I've been there in so many times when there were festivals and people dancing in the streets and, and putting these different um, uh, dyes, uh, pigments upon themselves. And there's food and, and everybody's out and they're, they're celebrating the, 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 their gods. India has 330 million gods. And you need to pray for our Christian believers in India. Because India is becoming very hard and begin to persecute Christians. It's been unbelievable. And people look at that and they say, oh, well, it's a shame these people are so uneducated. Because that idol is not a spiritual being. And they think that's the summation of the whole argument right there. But what they haven't looked at is the personality that exists behind that idol. And the Apostle Paul warns us that to participate in these festivals to idols is to actually have fellowship with the demonic forces behind the idols or the I and the idol. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians ten nineteen, beginning. What am I saying then, Paul asked, that an idol is anything or what is offered to the idols is anything? Of course, the answer to that is it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, the idol itself is nothing. What's offered to it is nothing. Verse 20, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, look at it now, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And then he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's Supper and of the table of demons. When you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're having fellowship with Jesus Christ. And when you participate, he says, in these demonic rituals or these activities to other gods, you're actually fellowshipping with the demonic force behind the idol. And Paul said, you can't do both. You can't have a divided heart. God doesn't want that. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And, and he insists that we serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can I hear somebody say, amen? Paul is reminding us that it is important that we must understand there exists a world of spirits around us that do not consist of beings of flesh and flesh and blood and molecules and atoms and electrons, but they are in a spiritual dimension. That's one science hasn't found yet and never will. When we talk about the I and the idol or the spirit behind the idol, we're not talking about loving, protective angels either. An army of angels that surround us that have been commissioned by God to carry blessings to us and to carry our prayer requests to heaven. No, no. It's not the angels that were going up and down the ladder in Jacob's vision in the book of Genesis. Amen. It's not the angels that fall, form a wall of fire round about us. When Paul is talking about these spirits, he's talking about fallen angels. Amen. Amen. You can listen to university professors and sociologists and psychologists and even some pastors and they openly ridicule the existence of a spirit dimension or life after death or even the existence of God. There are churches that are actually pastored by atheists and they'll tell you they're atheists. The head of theology at Harvard University is an atheist. How in the world are you going to teach me about God if you don't even believe in God? Amen. 
Amen. But idols are not imaginary gods that the uneducated and ignorant worship. These idols that may be physical things, carvings, moldings, are actually backed by spiritual beings. In India, you will find some of the greatest and most educated minds in the world. If being educated means that you don't need to believe in these anymore, why do they still believe in 330 million of them? It is arrogant to look at people and say, I don't believe in the existence of a spirit world. When you have people with multiple doctorates and degrees by the millions that do believe in the existence of these things. And here's the kick. While they call them gods, we as Christians know, based on Paul's writing, that these are actually demonic spirits. I wish I could get a better amen. Where do these beings come from, you might ask? The scripture provides the answers to these and other questions. Demonic spirits are actually disembodied angels from another dimension. Listen closely. They existed at a dimension where they had bodies that were visible. They could be seen just like you and I can now. They were actually in heaven. Lucifer was one of the archangels of heaven and he was actually responsible for leading the other angelic beings in worship, the seraphims, the cherubims, all of the other beings of worship, of angelic beings rather, he led in worship. He was in effect the worship leader in heaven. Lucifer decided he wanted to be the recipient rather than the giver of worship. There is something fundamentally dangerous about the attitude that is sweeping through our nation when people are always asking, give me, give me, rather than looking for a place to serve and to give and help somebody else. You better be careful when that begins to happen because it got Satan in trouble. He decided he wanted the worship of angels rather than to give God the worship. And of course... He organized a rebellion against God that the Bible says drew one-third of heaven's angels into the attempted coup d'etat, and they naturally failed, as do all attempts to rebel against God. And they were cast out of heaven to earth, where they are now walking around as disembodied spirits. You can't see them, but they're here. And Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. They're consistently and constantly looking for a being, a person to inhabit. In the case of Legion, the demoniac in Mark 5, he was called Legion because he was possessed by a legion of demons. A legion was a Roman military term and it was a number of soldiers that consisted from anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers residing within this one horrifying I mean, just twisted caricature, caricature of a human being were between four to 6,000 demonic spirits. They didn't start out all living in him. He was drawn away and enticed. And he took one step in the wrong direction and opened a door that allowed demonic activity begin to, to work in his life. And that demon invited yet another one 
Because when you get involved in sin, it satisfies only for a little while. And then you got to go a little bit deeper and you got to do a little bit more. And before it was over with, four to 6,000 demons were residing in that man. And he was so miserable that he felt more comfortable living in the graveyard among the dead than he did among the living because that's where sin will lead you. It will, its ultimate purpose is to destroy and wreck your life and take everything worthwhile from you. Amen. There's a spirit of suicide that is sweeping this world right now. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. What is with all these celebrity suicides? What is with people taking their lives, young people taking their lives? I rebuke it in Jesus' name. It can't come near this church. It can't come near our families. I stand up against it. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. That's its ultimate purpose. When Jesus cast the demons out of the man, they entered a herd of swine and possessed them. And cause those pigs to run violently into the sea and commit suicide. And we see revealed in this what they were trying to get this man to do. And he had moved so close to the edge that he was actually already living in, among the tombs. The next step was to take his own life. Look, there's an eye behind the idol. There's a personality behind what's drawing you. When you're tempted, it begins in the flesh, but then you're enticed. The enemy will always take advantage of our human weaknesses and even our normal God-given appetites. As an example, let's look at Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice who led him into the wilderness. Sometimes following God will bring you through dry places. And trust me when I tell you there's a devil waiting there to start whispering in your ear and tell you God has abandoned you and doesn't love you anymore. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And we've always been taught that that was the physical city of Jerusalem and the physical temple, but I don't think so. I don't think so. He brought him to the holy city. Jerusalem was not a holy city at that time. He literally transported him in a vision to a spirit dimension. You can take things like ayahuasca and some of these other drugs. You better be careful where they carry you. Oh, you hear what I'm talking about? Uh, Have you heard about Flocka? It's out there now. You take that stuff and it will take you to a place and you will be introduced to a world of spirits that you don't want to have to deal with, but they're waiting to mess up your life. Amen. To destroy your thinking. The devil took him to a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. If, 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 if you're the son of God. Anybody see that? Look at your neighbor and say, if you are who you say you are. You see how immediately we don't like that? Because it challenges our identity, doesn't it? 
If you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again. (laughs) You shall not tempt the Lord, your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And once again, do not think that is a physical mountain because mountain in scriptures mean several things. First of all, there is no single mountain you can go to where you can see all of the kingdoms of the earth. I'm talking about a spirit dimension here. Hallelujah. And he said, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Many times the devil convinces you when you begin to allow things in your heart and you have a divided heart. He tells you that you shouldn't be in the house of God. He tells you, you don't need to worship. You're going to feel condemned. Stay home today. Listen to what God told the one that created temptation. You shall worship the Lord, your God. He didn't even let the devil have a pass. Hello, somebody. Why? Because if the devil had been worshiping from the start, he wouldn't be the devil right now. And if you will worship God, you'll come out of whatever it is that's pulling you the wrong direction. The Bible says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. There are three primary areas of our life through which we are tempted. They are physical pleasure, the things we see, and things that increase our self-esteem. Amen. First John 2, 15, 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Lord, could I preach on that? It offers you some stuff. Am I talking to anybody right now? The devil's got some stuff waiting for you this afternoon. He's offering you some things. Hello, somebody. You see, when you're in this world, it's not just a matter of you walking out your life and your path. And if you, you know, you see something, you you step over and take a look at it. Oh, no, he's standing on the side of the road trying to sell you stuff. Oh, yeah, trying to convince you to get involved in things. Ah, Can I preach the way that I feel like preaching? Come on, can can I really preach the way that I feel like preaching? Look, sir, that woman that just suddenly smiled at you and winked at you. And she's kind of batting her eyelashes and sashaying down, you know. And, you know, that's an offer from the devil. You better leave it alone. Ma'am, that guy that winked at you at the gym, that's an offer from the devil. You better leave it alone. The world offers you something. Yes, it does. But this is what John said. Do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving. Here we go. For physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. Those are the three areas we're tempted in. Physical pleasure, things we see. 
and things that increase our self-esteem. These are not from the Father, but are from this world, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Hello. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Turn to your neighbor and say, the world is fading away. Would you do that? Oh, yes, the car you have, it's fading away. The house you live in, it's fading away. It's getting old and worn out. Look in the mirror, you're fading away too. You can use all the mascara you want, lipstick. And guys, you can have whatever. You can go to the gym. You're fading away. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're just temporarily in this world. And the world will offer you stuff to try to pull you out of God's plan for your life. Amen. Now let's look at the temptation again of Jesus. And then I'm closing. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights after when he was hungry. Because the King James says he was hungry. New King James says. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Imagine fasting 40 days and not having anything to eat. And it's worth noting that in Luke's account of the temptation, in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, we read that Jesus was tempted by Satan the entire 40-day period. It started on the first day. It didn't start after the 40-day fast. If you've ever done any fasting, you know the devil doesn't wait till it's over to show up. Hello, help me out right now. Come on, help me, somebody. Oh, I feel such an anointing in this house right now. Mm, something's working here. He set in for a season of temptation, unrelenting attack. Amen. He would not quit. Have you ever been there where the devil just attacks and will not let up the pressure and it goes on days and days and then it goes on weeks and then it goes on into a month and then it goes on into 40 days. You're not the only one. Jesus faced the same thing. With this in mind, we need to remember that one of the most common strategies of the enemy is to try to cause us to sin by taking advantage of our normal human weakness. Jesus was hungry. You get hungry when you fast. Somebody said, I don't get hungry when I fast. You hadn't fasted long enough. Amen. You fast a little bit longer, you will get hungry. Somebody said, it doesn't bother me to fast. Yeah, but you're taking two Excedrin and drinking a Pepsi-Cola every two hours. And leave the Excedrin on the shelf and the Pepsi-Cola in the fridge, okay? You will get hungry and get uncomfortable. Your flesh will begin to cry out. Amen. Jesus was hungry. This body has normal physical appetites. Sex is a normal appetite. The enemy will allure you just like he does through hunger, like he did Jesus, through your sexual drive. He will try to lure you into situations that will destroy your life. But he failed, praise God. I've got some good news for you. Because every time he came at Jesus, Jesus met him with the word of God. It is written. The devil shows up with a new offer. It is written. He shows up with yet another offer. It is written. Hello, somebody. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the the pinnacle, as it said. So he tried 
to get Jesus to throw himself down, said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. The enemy tried to cause Jesus to question his own identity. He wanted to make Jesus feel insecure. I love the fact that, as G.F. Watkins pointed out when he was here with us on Father's Day, and my time is gone, it happened too late because Jesus went from the baptism into the wilderness. And in his baptism, his father spoke over him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know how to resist the need to have everybody like you realize the one who really counts loves you more than anything in the world. Amen. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his hallelujah to the lamb of God. Don't you let the devil make you question your identity. If you've grown up without affirmation in your life, and many of us have, I was abandoned at the age of four, raised by my grandmother. I know what the need for affirmation feels like, the need to belong. But one day I found out that he loved me. And all of a sudden, it don't matter as much if you don't like me. I'd like for you to like me. But if you don't, I'm a nice guy. I figure the problem is yours. It's not mine. Amen. Because he loved me enough to die for me. The enemy took Jesus up into a high mountain and said, all these things I will give you. He appealed to Jesus' normal desire to possess nice things and to be successful in life. Well, I'm done. And the Bible said in Luke 4, 13, when the enemy, the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him. Everybody say, for a season. The New Living Translation says, when he had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You better know the devil didn't leave for long. He's standing in the shadows looking for another opportunity. How do you overcome the eye in the idol? Psalms 86, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. Lift your hands and say, God, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about the weapons of our warfare are not according to the flesh, but mighty through God. Amen. Four things quickly because my time is gone. How do you resist and defeat the I and the idol? Number one, look at the spirit behind the temptation. You're going to be tempted. You might be even tempted right now. You might be tempted as soon as you walk out of this building and get in your car. When you do, don't look at the temptation. Look at the eye the behind the idol, the spirit behind the temptation. Number two, develop your daily devotional life. Develop a strong and daily devotional life. A strong daily devotional life. Can I hear somebody say amen? Amen. Look, don't you stay up late watching a movie. I'll tell you what not to do. And then you finally go to bed, and in the morning when it comes time for you to get up and do your devotions, too tired, and you reach over and hit the snooze button. There's no movie worth losing your devotional time with God. There's no program worth it either. Amen. Number three, 
practice the presence of God. Isaiah 26 verse 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Amen. 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 I was in South Africa about two months ago. And they have a song there that they sing in South Africa. It was written by a pharmacist that's actually Lebanese. And he wrote songs for a gospel group. And that man obviously had an encounter with God because there are some things that God attaches his glory to. And my favorite South African song is Unikosi Yamakosi. Now, that means nothing to you. I realize that. But they play that before I get up to preach. And I've been going there for many years. And, and because they know how deeply, profoundly moved I am by that song, they play it when I, when I go. And they played the song, and the Spirit of the Lord went. And I'm telling you, everybody was on their face. Do you know that in the two months since then, I have I've outlined 75 sermon series. <laughs> I got under a spout. And man, when I wake up in the morning, there's revelation flowing and I'm sitting down to eat lunch and there's revelation flowing and I got my phone out and I'm, I'm taking notes on my notepad because that's where I take my notes on my iPhone. And man, for in the last two months, I've, I've downloaded 75 sermon series. I don't even know if I'm going to live to be old enough to preach them all. I'm going to have to live to be about 105. Because when you get in the presence of God, God gives you inspiration. When you are walking in the presence of God, God speaks to you. Stand with me. And number four, use the weapons of our warfare that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 10. Would you?